Amen. I'm going to invite you to remain standing with me uh, as I take a seat, actually. So <laughs> I'm really sick. So um, we're going to be in the book of uh, Colossians. Uh, we're going to be reading verses uh, 15 through uh, 23 this morning. And uh, as always, uh, if you do not have a Bible, uh, it'll be up on the screen uh, behind me. Colossians 1, uh, verses 15 through 23. It says this, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, being Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you to White Oak this morning, and uh, as I, I mentioned earlier, um, I feel awful this morning, and uh, I would have uh, had somebody else, uh, most likely James, preach for me, uh, but I got sick early in the week, and then I thought I was better, and then it, it came back for me, as they say, and so um, I was running through my sermon this morning, and I just got tired standing up, so I figured probably best that I just sit down, so I'm not trying to look cool or anything. You know, I actually hate sitting down while I preach. Um, I was telling someone earlier, I feel like Michael Jordan in the flu game, if you, if you like sports, you know, even though I'm by no means the Michael Jordan of preaching, um, but uh, I kind of feel like that, and uh, in some way, this gives me the opportunity to live out my childhood dream of being an athlete of sorts, which I didn't, didn't work out for me. Um, but I love you guys. Uh, today is Give Sunday. It's a special Sunday for us. Um, uh, we're going to be giving towards our North Wing building, which is our big fellowship hall that we use a lot. Um, we've been renovating this church for the past few years and just continuing in that um, exciting work. And so I'll explain more of that at the end. Um, but, uh, but as I open this up, and like I said, if I'm, if I'm going through the text and we get to like verse 19 halfway through and I just pray us out, just know like, you know, <laughs> I didn't feel good. So um, but, but I love you guys and I'm honored to be here with you. And um, as I said during the prayer, you know, even this past week has just reminded me as I've not been a very good pastor because uh, I've not been super accessible, um, just that like I'm just a guy, you know, and that the Lord is really the one that has all the strength and all the power. And all of us are so desperate for him in so many ways. Amen. So, um, so out of that weakness, I come to you this morning. Um, but uh, as I start today, um, before we kind of dive in, um, I wanted to kind of start with a short little story. When I was um, probably eight or nine years old, uh, I stayed with my dad one summer. And uh, my dad obviously 
uh, had a job, and so he had to go to work one day, and our normal babysitter wasn't available. So uh, he, he sent us to this lady's house who was a good friend of his um, and would go on to become a good friend of ours as well. But uh, I didn't know her very well, and uh, she had this apartment that was kind of small, and she had no kids, and so she had a small apartment that was not set up for kids. And so I rolled in there, and um, my sister and I did, and um, it was really kind of boring, didn't know what to do. I knew I was going to be there for two or three days, and so I did what every kid back in the 90s did whenever they were bored. I started looking through the VHSs, you know, like the... <laughs> For, the, for those of you that are older or younger, um, that's how we used to watch movies back then on VHSs. Um, that's what I remember, you know, with like the, the cool little slip that it would go in. And uh, so I started looking through those, and I found this three-movie set uh, that I'd never seen before, but I recognized the character on the side. It was, uh, it was a picture of Darth Vader. And so for all you like Star Wars nuts out there like myself, I love Star Wars. Um, I saw a picture of Darth Vader, and I'd never seen Star Wars before, but uh, I knew kind of what it was. And so... Um, I was super bored, didn't know what to do. I, I heard that was kind of a popular series, so I, I popped in the first one, which is actually the fourth one, which is really kind of confusing about Star Wars, is the first one I ever made was episode four, but I digress. So, um, but uh, I popped it in there, and I, I don't even think I was intending to, um, to watch the entire thing. Um, I was just going to probably do it for a little bit and then, you know, start doing something else like kids do. You know, I couldn't possibly watch the entire two and a half hours of Star Wars, you know, I, I did not have that big of an attention span at the age of nine, um, but I popped it in, and it was one of those movies that was literally so good that I, I just couldn't stop watching it, to where, like, literally, you pop it in, and, like, and then next thing you know, the movie ends, the credits are rolling, and, like, your, your, your arm is numb because you've been laying on it the whole time, and you're like, oh my gosh, like, I forgot the real world even existed, I was so in the Star Wars world, and so then I did what every kid does when he likes the first Star Wars movie. I went and got a snack, came back, and popped in The Empire Strikes Back in the same exact day. And same thing, didn't stop at one time. I, I watched the entire The Empire Strikes Back, and I was just mesmerized. And my dad picked me up and uh, started taking me back to the house. And he was like, so did you have fun? I was like, Dad, my world's forever been changed. Like, I, have you ever heard of Star Wars? He's like, yeah, I've heard of Star Wars. You know, it came out when I was a kid. And I was, like, I, was t I was telling him about it, and he didn't really care. You know, he was just kind of like, whatever. Um, he had a hard day at work, and so um, I was telling him about it, and then he took me back the next day, and of course, I, I finished it off by watching the famous The Return of the Jedi, which is my personal favorite Star Wars movie, FYI, of all the ones that have been made, even the newer ones, and I watched The Return of, of the Jedi, and so literally I watched the entire trilogy as an obsessed nine-year-old um, in a, probably less than 24 hours, and uh, what that started for me was um, this lifelong obsession with Star Wars. I'm, I'm not as into it as I, as I used to be because I'm a little older now, I have a kid, so I'm kind of busy. But um, I, I, I love Star Wars to this day. I, I love everything about it. And I got so into it that I bought the action figures and I bought the, the fake lightsabers that made the cool sounds until the batteries ran out, you know. Um, I had all the things. There was even like this little book they had that you could buy. Like, remember those books back in the day? Maybe you don't, where... Um, you could buy this book. It was like it was like a really thin book, but kind of big. It was a hard hardback, and you could just have like inf it would tell you information about um, different things. And so you get one about blue wells. It would tell you all these things about the blue wells. You get one about a country. It would tell you everything about that country. Um, they actually have one of those about Star Wars, which is crazy because it's like fiction, right? But this whole book you can buy with all of these like side plots and like 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 Tatooine is mentioned a few times in one movie, but you can get a whole book on Tatooine on the culture and the customs and the food, stuff that's not even mentioned in the movies, right? And you can learn all about it, right? So I was really weird. I got into that stuff. I bought those books. I learned everything. But I tell you that to, to tell you this. Um, eventually what happened was um, my strong liking 
of Star Wars eventually turned into a, a massive admiration of George Lucas. And George Lucas, uh, if you don't know, is actually the, um, the author and the producer of the Star Wars movies. And most people that get really into Star Wars, eventually you develop this huge admiration for George Lucas. And, and the reason you do that is because eventually what you realize is like this whole thing that I love and enjoy and I love watching, it's all made up. And, and everything that I enjoy was literally created by this guy named George Lucas. Like that's amazing, okay? Like, like if you like Star Wars, what you really love is the mind of George Lucas. If you like Star Wars, what you really enjoy is the creativity and the imagination of George Lucas. What you really enjoy is the storytelling and the production of George Lucas. And I've always said that if I could do like one meet the author, which I've never done one of those before, like you like meet the author behind this book that you love, I would want it to be George Lucas. And like my, my, my question with him would just be like, where do you come up with Star Wars, you know? I mean, like, how does that happen? Because he wrote that in his 20s, and I'm like, were you just like laying in bed one day and was like, Darth Vader, you know? Like, does that just come like into your mind, like Luke Skywalker? Like, he's the father. Like, how crazy is that? Like, like did you come up with like the name Tab? Like, 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 how do you come up with all of these things? And I start with that this morning because I, I think in a lot of ways, that's what Paul does in Colossians 1, 15 through 23. You see, all of us are living all these random lives, doing different things. We've got different jobs and different personality types and um, different things that we're pursuing. We've all been through different stuff in our life. And then Paul comes along writing a book to the Colossian church and says this epic reality that ties literally everything in the world and the universe together. And I think what Paul tells us is that if you like anything about this life, if you look out in this world, even if it's broken and see some good things in it, that it really at the core, what you're admiring is Jesus Christ. You see, for many of us in life, we start with trivial interests and pursuits, and then God comes along and opens our minds to the epic reality behind everything. And no matter what your life has been like, what I want to invite you to do today is to simply meet the author. Meet the author of life. Meet the author of the world and existence itself. I pray that this morning blows your mind. But let's start in our text. So if you have your Bible, open it back up with me. And what I'm going to do this morning is simply go through verse by verse uh, through uh, our passage, and I'm going to read one verse and talk about it a little bit. And as we've been um, mentioning in all the sermons in Colossians, is even as we're doing this, this, this is a, a sermon series about Colossians, but also what we're trying to do is to give you a framework for even in your own life. If you want to sit down with the Bible and study it for yourself and get a lot out of it, we want to kind of show you how to do that, right? And so kind of watch as, as how we do this this morning, how we pay attention to every verse piece by piece. We we look at the words and the phrases and the way they come together, and we really dig into the depths and the truths of God's word. So we'll start in verse 15, which we already read this morning. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Man, I could preach the whole sermon on that one verse. 
I love this because what, what, what he is here is meaning Jesus, right? And so it says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And so, um, you know, God the Father, the, the creator of life, is invisible. Like, you cannot see him. God the Father is spirit. And I find it interesting how people will often try to discredit God um, for being, um, not being able to see, be seen the way we normally see things. And I find that other people discredit him because they can't see him when God told us that, like, we could not see him. Like, that's what God's word says. Like, God wasn't lying to us, and then also no one could find him anywhere, right? That's like me telling you um, I'm not a girl, and then you saying I, I'm discredited because, you know, uh, I'm not a girl. It's like, well, I told you I was not a girl. If anything, that should validate what I said. And so, like, in God's word, he says that God the Father um, is not seen, but Christ the Son is seen. He does have a body, and he is the image of the invisible God. And so if you want to see what God is like, you look at Jesus. He also says that he is the firstborn of all creation. And this is confusing for some people. People think this means that Jesus was created. Uh, but Jesus was not created. What this means by firstborn is what it meant back in biblical times. In biblical times, the firstborn son usually um, was supreme. He had all authority. He had all um, power. He, he had all the inheritance of the Father. And so what Paul is not saying here, he's not saying that Jesus was created, the first to be created, because Jesus has eternally existed, right? God has eternally existed as Father, Son, and Spirit, right? So one God, three persons. That's called the, the triune God or the Trinity, one of the core beliefs of Christianity. So there's one God who works in perfect connection with each other, but manifesting himself in Father, Son, and Spirit. And so Jesus is the Son who has a body, and he is the image of the invisible God. And he is the firstborn of all creation, meaning that he has all authority and all power. Verse 16 says this. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. I love this because what he says is everything that exists, right? There are some things that are seen and not seen, right? That's what the Bible tells us. There are seen realities and there are unseen realities. And what the scripture teaches us is that Jesus is God. And because he is God and the creator of all things, all things were created through him and for him. Some things have been corrupted by sin, but creation, what God created, is still good in many ways. And he is redeeming it. And I think that this is an important verse because without a proper focus on Jesus and the fact that he has created all things and that all things were created through him, we lose a sense of reality and balance in life. And let me give you kind of an example of this because it can get quite silly. Um, I love sports, so raise your hand if you like sports, okay? Yeah. Raise your hand if you're a Houston Texans fan. Raise your hand. Okay, so we have more Texans fans than people that like sports. That's interesting. So, um, but... Uh, I love sports. Uh, I have an issue, um, and uh, I like sports way too much. I have the ESPN app on my phone. I literally check the scores during my community group, which I probably should not have done this morning. Uh, someone else said they did as well. Okay, yeah, you're sinful, so um, me too. Um, but it's funny, when you don't realize that all things were created by God and all things to some degree trace what's good about them back to God, like it gets kind of silly, the things that we get really into, right? Like, if all things were not created through God and, and for God, like, my enjoyment of sports is, is really kind of odd, right? And if I'm just a guy that likes other guys running around throwing a ball to each other, 
and I get like really, 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 really into that, if I can't somehow trace that back to God and his goodness or his creation or his love for me, it's just a really random weird thing, right? You see, all things were created through him and for him. Nothing is random, nothing is trivial, nothing is meaningless. And yet without God, the the author behind everything, all we have is a bunch of random disconnected things. And you can apply this to things that maybe are less silly than sports, maybe. Uh, Like our career. Like our, our career is an important thing. It's an important reality. And without God, it's just a job, right? Without God, we just work and make some money and that's it, right? But, but with God, with realizing that he created all things, that he created the ability to work, that he wants us to work, all of a sudden this random job that might not fulfill us at all, right, becomes the way we provide for our family, the way we love people, the way we make money to be generous to people, the way that we contribute to society. When we begin to see our work as something that God gives us, it becomes a blessing and an important part of our life. Same thing could be said with our hobbies, right? If you're addicted to a hobby and, and, you know, whatever you enjoy to some degree is not created by God, that's really kind of weird. But with God, hobbies become things like rest and enjoyment and relaxation and things that help kind of recenter us to a degree to live the life that God has called us. So if Jesus created all things, if, if the mountains are created by him, then they are good. And if love is created by him, then love is good. And if we were created to work, if we were created to do those things, then behind the things that might seem trivial or unspiritual, God has put much meaning behind them. So by him, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So he is over everything. Jesus created the idea of authority and power. And sin can corrupt those things, but holiness can make those things good. Verse 17, it says, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I love this because I think this also, kind of like the last point, kind of helps us to recenter our life. You see, he is before all things. And what that means is that Jesus is the standard by which all other things are judged. And I think where we get confused on this point is we try to like take the random trivial parts of our life and they're like well how does God fit into that you know and we feel like maybe our practical life is very different from our spiritual life and yet what this teaches us is that he is before all things and in him all things hold together so Jesus is the place where we start we start with Jesus we start with God we start with the author and the author's intent of all of life and we work out from there from so here's Jesus then there's my marriage and there's my job and there's um, my my hobbies and my, my pleasure and my enjoyment, and, and here's my relationships. We start there. It, it will not work to take something kind of just in the world and try to say, well, how does God relate to that? God is the creator of everything. And we start with him and we work our way out. You see, when you realize that this verse says he is before all things, it means he is the standard by which everything else is judged. And the problem is we use other things to evaluate Jesus' relevancy And what Paul says here is that Jesus is the relevant one. Jesus is the one who makes sense. Jesus is the one who is important. And everything finds its relevancy in Christ. At times we're tempted to believe that Jesus doesn't relate to the rest of our life. How does Jesus relate to sports and my job and human relationships and business ventures, physical health, having fun, traveling, the world. And yet I think what happens in this moment is we just realize we have to learn more about 
God. We have to meet the author. We must know him first and learn about him and then move on with the rest of our life. Verse 18 is this. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so just imagine if you're like sitting down at your coffee table in the morning and you're opening up your Bible and you come to this verse and and you want to learn about God, you want to grow personally, you literally just take this verse by verse and he being Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And so what we see is that Jesus is clearly the senior leader of the church. And if we are a part of the church, that means that he is our senior leader as well. And so then you're sitting down studying this verse for yourself and you say, okay, so what needs to change in my life in order to line up with this glorious reality? Is Jesus really the leader of my life? Is he really the leader of my church? Does does my church or, or do we as a church do the things that Jesus wants us to do? Maybe what areas of my life am am I not letting Jesus be the leader? And then you write those down and you repent of those and you pray for God to give you the strength to change. And all of a sudden the word of God is transforming you and your thoughts and your mind and your soul. So Jesus is the senior leader of the church though. He's the, the head of everything. And I think this is comforting, right? Because as the church, we don't need to be worried about the world not liking us. You know, it's kind of like if you ever um, had to, maybe you were kind of working in an organization and you weren't the senior leader and someone got mad at you and you're just like, hey, I'm, I'm, it's not my decision, right? You know, or we all kind of like, just, oh, I don't know, you got to talk to him, you know? It's kind of comforting, isn't it? We like that. Oh, you got to talk to my boss. Yeah, hey, I, I don't make the rules. Like you've probably said that before, right? I don't make the rules. I, I don't make the, the bylaws, right? I'm just an employee. I'm just a cog in the machine. You can't be mad at me, Okay. I think this is kind of comforting for us because as the church, we shouldn't really worry about what the world thinks about us as we try to pursue him and pursue holiness if the world likes us or not because we're just trying to be like Jesus. And hopefully if they don't like something about us, it's just because we're just doing what Jesus did. And really what happens is they don't, not they don't like us, they they don't like Jesus or they don't like what he says about that. So that's a comforting thing for your life as a follower and disciple of Jesus. If you're just doing what Jesus tells you to do, then if people get mad at you, they're not really mad at you. They're mad at Jesus. It's a comforting reality if we're living that way. Because of this, we should not live afraid of what people think about us or our church. It's a liberating idea. Let's move to verse 19. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Gosh, that's a beautiful verse. For in Jesus all... Not some, not part, not a good portion. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And so we go back to the idea that whenever you see Jesus, you see God. The the incarnation in theology is the idea that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Like, how can you be fully two things? Well, when you're God, you can be fully two things, right? He's a, he's a perfect representation of God in human form, but he's also a perfect representation of, of humanity and being a human so he can bear the punishment of our sins and be our perfect savior. And this is an important concept because I think what this says is that, that, that Jesus came to show us what God is like. Studies will tell you today that the majority of people, even in America, you know, we think we're so secular, the majority of people in our country will, t- will, will say that they still believe in God. They believe in God to some degree. What we disagree on oftentimes is what is God like, right? You ever had a conversation with your friend and you, like, it's like, hey, I, God's different now. Or, or God doesn't approve of that. Like, you approve of that and you think God does, but I, I don't think God approves of that, right? 
what Jesus does is he comes and he shows us what God is like. And this is the amazing part right here. I mean, this is, this is amazing. So, so uh, if we look at Jesus and we see God, then what happens is when we see Jesus coming into the world to be present with his people, we can know that God the Father is relational and loving and present with his people. Jesus came to us. He wants to be around us. He wants to love us. The fullness of God was pleased in him. So the fact that he's relational means that God is not distant. God is not deistic, if you will, but that God is personal and relational. And we see this in Jesus. If Jesus is the full image of God, then as he heals people, we see that our Father God is a healer. How wonderful is that? He's not just a cosmic ruler, but that he is relational and a healer for us in our iniquity. We also see that Jesus is compassionate and merciful towards the weak and the marginalized. And so God loves the humble and cares for those in need. We see that Jesus is a holy judge, and so he does call us at moments in the Gospels out of our sin and disobedience. He calls us to a standard. We see that Jesus is loving towards us because he takes his, our sin upon him and the cross. So he is present and relational and a healer. He's a, a good judge. He's compassionate. He's loving. God is also a teacher. Jesus leads and teaches his followers. He's also patient with the disciples as they fall and make mistakes and do stupid things. God is patient and kind. Does, does that comfort you? So in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When we look at Jesus, we learn about God. And then I'm going to read the, the next three verses together, because I think these go together. Verses 20 uh, through 22. It says, And now, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross, and you, being us, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Church, this is an amazing reality because what this says right here, like if you just read this literally, what it's telling us based upon the other verses that we've read is that the author is also the savior. It's like imagine in Star Wars if like, and this would have made Star Wars so much better in my opinion, which would be hard to make Star Wars better. But, like, imagine, like, um, I'm trying to think of what moment. Like, maybe, like, in the return of the Jedi, right? Like, you know, there's the point in the movie where it's like, man, this is not going to work. Like, the, the dark side is going to win, you know? Like, how awesome would it be if, like, it's, like, towards the end, it's looking like it's not going to go well, and George Lucas shows up in the middle of the movie out of nowhere and, like, saves the day. That's the only thing that would have made Star Wars better, right? That's why real life and reality is better than Star Wars, because that's literally what happened here. The author is the Savior. Jesus is God, and yet what he says here is that God came into the world to die on a cross for our sins, because we were hostile in mind, we were doing evil deeds, we were walking away from God. He comes in, he saves us, he redeems us, and not only redeems us and forgives us, but so that he can then make us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. The author is the Savior. And I think what we also notice here is that the reality is, is that the cross is not just a metaphor of love, but it's a real cross where God really died on it. It is the atoning and forgiving work of God for all sin, for all time, uh, for all men that will receive his gift of salvation. 
And so what we see in the cross um, and in sin and in holiness is that either we pay for our sins eternally in hell or Jesus pays for our sins on the cross. That those are the options for all humanity and for all men. And when you realize that, that the wages of our sin is death, when you, when you realize and don't run away from that, even though it makes us uncomfortable at times, what it begins to do is it builds the glory and the wonder of our loving author who has now become the Savior. And so Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. God dies on the cross for our sins. And I think what this also shows us is that your sin is not to be taken lightly. It's not to be seen as if it's not a big deal. Your sin is literally the biggest problem that you have in your life. And if we let anyone else tell us anything different, it's, it's not your emotions, you know, though that's, you got to deal with that, right? It's, it's not that you're a victim and someone else, you know, didn't treat you right in life. Your biggest problem in life is not someone else. Your biggest problem in life is not your schedule, though you got to get that in order, right? Your biggest problem in life is not that, you know, you need a spouse or you want a better spouse or, you know, you want your kids to behave more, right? Like, like at the core, we have to be humble and honest to say that our sins are the biggest problem that we have. And the reason we often don't experience transformation in life is because we're not fixing the real problem, which is our sin. And all of us are in this together, right? I, I'm sinful. Like, I'm not better than you. I'm not better than anybody else because I'm a pastor. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And not just because I became a lot more moral of a person. And so all of us are we're hostile to God, walking away from him. But the author steps in and becomes our savior. If you want to improve your life, repent of your sin, be transformed. And your entire life will change. And the last verse is this, verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so once again, we talked about last week how Paul writes this to the Colossian church. And this church has heard the gospel before, so they knew Jesus, but they were tempted to shift their hope away from Jesus and from the gospel. And Paul calls them to be stable, to be steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And I'll, I'll, I'm actually going to close with that, so, um, so I'm going to hold off on that point for one second. But, but before we're done, I just want to give you three things really quick, and I do mean really quick because I feel awful, okay? Um, three things that I think this text really means for your life this week. Three things um, that I think will, will help you a lot. Because God has us in this text this morning. God has us reading these words and God speaks through his word. And so because we're here, that means that God wants to speak to you through this text this morning. We've gone verse by verse through it. We've analyzed it. But um, when you study the Bible, you also want to pull out some big themes that are going to transform your life. And this is the first one. The application for us as a result of this text is first this. That Jesus is supreme above all things. And therefore, Jesus is the only one who can bear the weight of supremacy in your heart. What is supreme in your heart this morning? Like, let, let's think. Like, let's, let's be honest. What is supreme? Like, what do, you, what do you want more than anything? Like, what do you spend your days thinking about? What's like that one thing, man, like if, if that one thing would work out or go the way I want it, man, everything would be like, like what is supreme to you? Like what are you banking on? 
What are you looking to fulfill and satisfy you this morning? I heard it once said, and I, I love this quote, that whatever we idolize, eventually we will demonize when it lets us down. Whatever we idolize that is not God, but we want it to be God, eventually we will demonize when it lets us down. And so let me explain what, what that means, is that whenever we look to things that are not God to, to be God, what happens is we crush those things with the weight of our expectation. I have literally seen marriages crumble because someone wanted their spouse to be their fulfillment and the spouse just couldn't do it. I've seen people who've built their whole lives around maybe a, a career or the fact that they are a parent. I mean, all good things, all wonderful things, but they're not before all things like Jesus is. I think it's in verse 17 he says that. The problem is we put the weight of supremacy on the marriage or the kids or our church or our perfect church. And these things are supposed to be the rock that never let us down. Then they let us down and we get really angry because like you were supposed to be my satisfaction. You were supposed to be my God. You were supposed to be my fulfillment. And then those things turn out to not be God. Only Jesus can bear the weight of supremacy in your heart. Only Jesus can be all things because he is all things. He is all powerful. He's before everything. He is preeminent. He is supreme. Let Jesus be the all-powerful, all-satisfying, all-loving, never letting you down, always there for you, always ready to guide you presence. And don't ask your spouse or your kids or your church to be those things. Even as a pastor who loves, I, I love helping and trying to guide people, but it's like, man, if you needed me this week, then you're probably pretty lost, you know? Because Jesus is supreme. The second application point is this, is that Jesus is the only one who can fix you. Verse 21 through 22, it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. What are you looking to to fix you? Only Jesus can be that person. Jesus can heal, forgive, and renew anything and anyone. Jesus is the one who is here. He is the, he is the author who has become the Savior, who has stepped in to atone for the sins of the world. Jesus is here to fix and present us renewed before the Father. Jesus can heal any person of any sin, any person lost in life and not knowing where to go, any person stuck in any addiction. Do you know that he can heal you? Any struggling marriage, any lonely person, any person who feels distant from God, any deep longing that we have, when we don't look to Jesus to be the one that fixes us, we waste our time and we avoid our healing. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they have, may have life and have it abundantly. In light of Colossians 1, I encourage you to bring any problem, any issue, any sin, to go all in on Jesus and his path, and you will be renewed. And as we draw to a close uh, this morning, um, we're going to finish with verse 23. So if you still have your Bible, turn there with me. Colossians 1, verse 23. I want this 
verse to be your song today and this week. Verse 23 says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And this is what I think we learn in this moment, is that stable and steadfast with Jesus wins the race. Stable and steadfast with Jesus wins the race in this life. Every word of scripture is infinitely important and meaningful. And so what that means is that today when Paul gives us this grand reality of life and all that things are and how Jesus is before all things, he's the image of the invisible God, like he says all these things, and then he comes to me and you. And his application in light of this is simply two words, stable and steadfast. You see, the stability that we're called to is a consistency with the gospel, which will bring us consistency of hope. We need to daily remember and realize that we are saved and transformed in Christ. The disciples were with Jesus daily for almost three years. They were stable and they were steadfast. Things like prayer, reading the word, church, etc. are not to-do list things to be checked off so that we're a good Christian, but they are things that are a blessing that bring us stability to our relationship with Jesus. Stability keeps us from falling off. Inconsistency or an unpredictability in our walk is a confusing, uncertain place where the enemy can distract us. And so we are stable. But lastly, we are steadfast. And I want to read you the Webster's uh, definition for steadfast. It says, firmly fixed in place, immovable, not subject to change. Does that describe your walk with the Lord? Not subject to change. See, no matter where we are at or what we are facing, we are always called to double down on Jesus. Something's not going well, in an addiction, depressed, anxious, sick, hurting, broken, not satisfied in life. Always double down on Jesus. Because see, that's what the enemy does. The enemy tries to make us leave Jesus Not because he is not legitimate, but because Jesus is legitimate. Satan and sin and these things want to pull us from Jesus because they know that he truly is the Savior. And when you're in the presence of Jesus, they know they can't have you. See, if Jesus wasn't legitimate, if he wasn't really our Redeemer, Satan wouldn't care if we were with Jesus or not. But he is the author and he is the savior. And so the way the enemy gets us in life is to remove us or to make us flaky in our faith. And Paul says, be secure, be firm, stable and steadfast. He is the image of the invisible God. He is before all things. So stick with that. And you, church, you will win your race. I love you all. Let's pray.
Father, you are the good one. Lord, you are the atoning one who died for us. And Father, I I ask in this moment, Lord, that you would just remind all of us that when we are with you, we cannot be defeated. Father, would you change us this morning? Would you make us not the same? Would you let your words now ring throughout our hearts this week and remind us of reality that you are not trivial, but that you are the only truly relevant thing fully in the universe and everything else finds its place in the world that you've created and in the glory that you bestow. Give us strength and courage to live this out this week. Forgive us when we fail. Encourage us to godliness. Make us stable and steadfast and transformative figures in this world. I pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.